Please turn your Bibles to uh, spots. Turn to Gen- uh, Galatians 5 and 1 Peter chapter 1. So we'll be in both of those. Um, if you need a Bible, we do have Bibles in the foyer as you come in. Please pick one up. You can grab one now. We'll, we want to work verse by verse through sections of the Scripture, and so it's important to have it there that we can circle things, underline things, see it, um, where you, even is on the page can often help us. So uh, we'll be in Galatians 5, and then especially 1 Peter 1, we are continuing a series through the fruit of the Spirit. We see nine qualities which are described in, uh, in Galatians chapter 5, uh, which are things that God builds in his people. Um, as they grow near to him. And we're going to take each one of those and one to two sermons each and see how it is that, that those things grow in our lives. All right, and so today is joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And then moving forward to 1 Peter chapter 1, again towards the end of your Bible, if you haven't found it yet, 1 Peter 1 verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to these fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and especially his joy, God, we know that these are spiritual things that you must develop in us. And so, Father, we just ask for the aid of your Holy Spirit as we come to this text to work in us, to challenge us, to expose things in us, but also to expose things in you, what's so glorious and wonderful, so that, Father, we'd be turned away from sin in this world and drawn towards Christ. That's a spiritual work. Nothing I can do, and my words would do that, but we know by your spirit you can. So we ask you to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we all seek joy. That's what the ancient thinkers have said. Inside of your sidebars, you see a number of quotes on joy. Uh, One of them is by Blaise Pascal, the great philosopher, thinker, mathematician. He said, all men seek happiness. Meant women too. Uh, men is the, the uh, broad term. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, 
they all tend to this end. People want to be happy. I mean, who wants to be miserable, right? Even sometimes in our misery, we're miserable because we're not happy, right? We think it's something that we want, and the fact that we don't have it shows our disappointment. The big difference that separates people from one another is one, one of the ways, they, the ways they seek happiness, where they want it to come from. Now, if we look around us, we know that um, one of the things we want so badly is something that so many people lack. I was looking at the depression statistics in coming into this, and, and they are staggering. Um, since 2010 to 2021, so it was about 11 years, in the United States, teen depression went up 145% for girls. You know, that's way over double in just 11 years. Uh, teen boys was up 161% of reported uh, depression. Uh, suicide rates have gone up a lot. Teen girls up 188% since 2010. And for boys, up 48%. I think sometimes the shootings that we see around us are an expression of the hopelessness and the, 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 the depression, which is, which is there. And it's not just teens. One in 10, a little less than one in 10 um, adults say that they uh, went through deep depression over this past year. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you are there. Um, we're all at different places here. Um, you know, when we think about joy, we see that that's one of the um, hindrances to that. We have other emotions that we experience which are so contrary to happiness, like anxiety and, and even anger. You know, these are things that we don't like to have in our, our lives. Uh, we we want to move out of them. And that's one of the things that draws us here, isn't it? You know, inside the Bible, the angels said when Jesus came, they said that there is good news that leads to great joy. Good news that leads to great joy. Don't we want that? That good news that leads to great joy. And that's what I want to think about and talk about today. You know, there are uh, physical and emotional reasons that make joy difficult. Um, there's chemical things that happen, emotional things that happen, hormonal things that happen. There are experiences that make happiness um, seem so remote. Grief, abuse, neglect. Um, we've recently heard how the internet and phones and social media can also significantly affect our happiness, even leading into depression. But what we want to look at as we look in the scripture today in 1 Peter 1 is the source of joy and the hindrances of joy and to see what God has provided as spiritual joy, um, which sustains us no matter what happens, right? This is a fruit of the spirit. This is something that as, we, as a person goes on in faith is that they would see growing as a part of their life, right? And so the Bible holds out this hope that there is this joy that sustains and carries us. But we need a deeply spiritual reason for that, a reason that's greater than what's happening in our bodies 
or a reason that's greater than whatever we're experiencing at that moment, whether it's difficult or even if it's good. I love the hymn line that says like this, it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know, we sing that a lot here at our church, and you know, I don't know if you've thought about what it says, but we say, I dare not trust the sweetest frame. You know, one of the things that we sing about, the hymn writer is addressing here, is that there's, there's some sweet experiences, wonderful experiences that we can have that lead to great happiness. And there's a way that even those things we can trust in and rely in. But something which is different than a biblical joy that God promises us um, through faith. And even our best emotional experiences can keep us from a deep-seated joy that is found in God. Now, the world will tell you that you should find your joy in worldly and temporal things. I mean, the world will point to all kinds of, of different uh, things which supposedly will satisfy you. And what, they might work at least for a short period of time, right? But eventually that newness wears off. We discover the promises of lasting joy are false. The devil himself has no interest in you finding joy in God. All, again, all kinds of things other than God, but certainly not in him. One of the worst things that we can have happen to us is that we can find a source of happiness that lasts our entire life, but keeps us away from God. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about this in Luke chapter 12. Um, when he tells the man who built a bigger barn, he became wealthy and, and richer and richer, and he wanted to build a bigger barn. And he said, by building this bigger barn, that he will have ample goods for many years. He will be able to relax, eat, drink, and be merry. His happiness. As Jesus says about that, but God said to him, fool, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. It's a reminder to us, of what the hymn says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. It's not just the world points us to false ways of joy, but there's actually something within us that just wants so much relief um, apart from waiting on God. There, there is something within us that wants a temporary solution to the difficulties that we face. And when we're disconnected from God, we... Um, might find a little bit of happiness, all kinds of behaviors, and even sinful behaviors. But again, they don't last. As we continue to look through this study on the fruit of the Spirit, what we see promise here in the Scripture is a real lasting spiritual joy from God, a, a joy that endures in times of suffering rather than just thriving in absence, than, than in suffering's absence. A joy that exists even when we don't have control over our world, a joy that is based on contentment with God rather than just ease of life, and a joy that finds satisfaction in God and rejects comparison. I mean, it's a joy that does require faith and repentance, faith and repentance at the same time, turning away from those false sources of joy that we've trusted in and instead looking towards the one which is true, satisfying joy. That's in 
Jesus Christ in him alone. And it's not just something we can aspire to have, right? This is something that we have a right to, right? This is part of our inheritance, which is in Jesus Christ, right? The Bible talks about an inheritance we have in him, and isn't this one of them? The joy of the Lord. And is it a responsibility of the Christian life to grow in it? God actually commands our joy, we'll see later. Doesn't command misery, commands your joy. And it's a fruit that God grows in our lives. It grows by faith. So, so what is biblical joy? Um, as I work through it, I try to think of how would I define joy? How would I define joy? This is what I came up with. Uh, joy is the hopeful view of our present circumstances and our future possibilities. It comes from contentment, satisfaction, and delight in God. So it's a hopeful view of our present circumstances and of our future possibilities. And it comes from this relationship with God, seen in contentment, satisfaction, and delight. Now, it's something that we would separate from happiness, at least distinguish from it. There's a, certainly a connection we, would, we would, couldn't deny, but there's, we need to be able to distinguish them. Happiness is something that comes and goes, but joy is something that continues. Happiness is an emotion that we, um, is partly dependent on our circumstances or our happenings in, in life. We'll not always be happy, but we can always have joy. And as we're fueled by joy, what happens, we can experience better happiness also in this life, a truer happiness, a, a more fulfilling happiness. But we have to be able to distinguish the two, and we're not going to confuse them. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9, through 9, it reminds us that God is this ultimate source of joy. In the original language, is one really long sentence, and it shows the gospel-filled life. What happens when Jesus comes a part of a life? And I really want to narrow, especially in, in verse 8 right now, and just see what it says about joy and overflowing, over-the-rim kind of joy. This is verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. There's a lot of joy in just those few words, isn't there? That's what I want to think about. Now, if you look at it, there's you know, two kinds of joy that are spoken about. One is this our joy. It's talking about rejoicing. There's a verb that's there. But there's also this joy, the noun, which is something that is internal. It's a disposition of, of the heart. And so we see, even in a passage like this, joy is something that God uh, plants in our heart, grows. Uh, God grows in it through faith. And it, it, he nurtures it through Jesus Christ. And then that is expressed in our words and the way that we live. So we're going to work that out of our sermon. The first thing we want to see is just some necessary um, conditions for joy. First thing, you need to believe that God has revealed himself in the Bible. Um, the joy that we desire requires a God who is sovereign, and he is wise, and he is good. He is sovereign, he is wise, he is good. And as verse 8 says, we may not have seen him, but we still love him. We believe in him. And that quickly folds into the, the second um, point necessary for joy is that life has meaning. 
that this sovereign, wise, and loving God is directing all history towards a purpose and meaning, and you are part of that. You are part of that created plan of God. Your life has meaning inside of it. A lot of people don't believe that life has meaning. There's a branch of philosophy called nihilism. Nihilism, it's the idea that life has no ultimate meaning. Now, you can, the idea is you can make up a meaning if you like, and maybe you should make up a meaning for yourself, but don't try to find an ultimate one uh, for yourself. Now, this is a great recipe for depression. This is a great recipe for meaninglessness and purposelessness and despair. That's, that's, that's where it leads. The only way we'll have joy is to find something greater than ourselves to live for, something outside of ourselves that defines our life. And as we're connected with that, uh, we're connected with meaning itself. That's important. And so you see a scripture like uh, Psalm 1611. Psalm 1611, which says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, pleasures forevermore. For no joy, it's going to come in approaching the God who has revealed himself in the Bible and in the purposes that he has for us in this world. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. Well, a third thing we need to know is that our sin is a greater threat to joy than our suffering. And I really take this out of verses 6 through 8. And if you look in there, you know, the first instruction is, in this you rejoice, and then it goes on to describe um, a life of suffering difficulty. So it gives an umbrella understanding to how we're to endure the difficulties of this life. Look at verse 6. Here it says, um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, those tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so while our trials may be hard, they are not obstacles to joy. In fact, it's our joy that sustains us through those trials. That's why he gives it as a blanket understanding for, um, you know, a, a blanket instruction as we go through the trials of, of, of our lives. And so even when our desires um, are withheld and our difficulties multiply, when we don't feel happy, when we don't feel good feelings, we know that there is a joy that cannot be taken away. You know, we know that God is working even in our trials. So we said joy is a hopeful view of our present circumstances and of our future possibilities, right? It comes from contentment, satisfaction, delight in God. We know that he is working. So we're not just muscling through our trials. It's not some sort of cold, distant stoicism approach to it. It's not about elevating self-sacrifice for no reason. It is about dwelling with joy even in our trials. Now, now why can't we, you know, why don't we always experience that kind of joy? Um, you know, one thing that we know is that we can know God and we can know we have a calling from him. And if we know those things, we have a, 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 a good foundation to build joy in. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our circumstances. Our joy is in God, that he is unchanging. He is sovereign. He is wise in all that he does. He's working. 
And so when Psalm 37, 4 says, says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, you know, we can appreciate a circularity that's in this passage. When he says, delight yourself in the Lord, you know, what happens? We delight in him. We love him. We, we grow in our appreciation of him. And then what begins to happen? Our heart begins to change, right? Because we're delighting in him. And then what does he give us? The desires of our heart, right? And so we, we get more of him. And what we find is we delight in him. He satisfies us with himself and, and he reminds us, you know, you can be joyful in me. You can be happy in me. You can find love in me. And we keep coming back to him. And he, he reminds us in this just cycle of just how absolutely satisfying that he is. You know, just a reminder to me as we come to the Lord's Supper, just how he fills us with himself. What a way to increase joy. But when people don't have faith in God, what do they do? They seek it in other ways, in money, in sex, in vacations, and in buying new things, and in drugs or alcohol. People retain anger, and they just refuse to forgive someone else, just thinking, I will feel better if I hold this against them. I will feel better if I punish them in this. I'll just feel happier in that. Just thinking that some sort of striking back at another person will um, make them feel somehow happier. Or maybe it's gossip. You know, if I just have that little bit of juicy gossip or, you know, able to hear it or pass it around, you know, then I'll be an important person. That'll, you know, I'll be in the know. You know, so, uh, you know, any of these things, they make no promise to us of joy. I mean, sure, it might work for a little bit to bring a little bit of happiness into your life, but eventually the joy evaporates, and in fact, it's just self-feeding. It just it destroys the person who goes, goes into it, just demanding more and more and more. Never satisfies. We realize we just can't do it again. We, we can't go back and have it work out. And so maybe it even becomes this button that a person keeps pressing just to get a little jolt of happiness, but they've got to go deeper and deeper and harder and harder in it, and people are pushed more and more away, and they find themselves more and more isolated and more and more dark. Bankruptcy in the end. I mean, this is sin, trading faith in God for faith in the world. It's a joy stealer. But the joy of the Lord is not like this. And so if we look at verses 8 and 9, you know, you see that there is a joy that goes on and on into eternity. You even see it in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So when joy is absent, what do we need to do? To move towards God, not away from God, right? We don't choose sin to create some sort of happy experience in our life. But if something is in the way of that joy, we move towards God. How many of our problems are just self-induced for the habits that we pick um, in order to find just a little bit of happiness to get through the, to, to, to get through the moment rather than the, the way that we turn to God in those times? So, so that's some of the preconditions of understanding as we think through where joy comes from. I secondly want to look to this, that joy comes from faith in Jesus and his work for us. You know, God has, there's not only a condition for it, joy in God, but God has secured it for us in what he did in Jesus. And we really need to consider what Jesus has, has done for us. We have every reason for joy if we're in Christ. And one of the easiest ways for us to lose joy is 
to think that in order to have it, we need to earn it, right? There is a self-righteousness that leads us to give up on joy. I mean, it can, the self-righteousness which says, well, you need to be perfect, and I'm not perfect, so I'm discouraged, you know, because why would God ever give me happiness? God, why would God ever give me joy? But there's also a sort of self-righteousness which uh, leads us to keep up with the appearance that, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, living with a constant pressure that leaves us generally unhappy. I mean, self-righteous people are generally not happy people. They're generally not fun to be around, and partly because they just don't have the joy of experiencing God's grace. There's parables in the Bible about this. What the Bible shows over and over is that that joy is a gift that comes from God. We might give it up by sinning, right? We create... Um, you know, we root ourselves in some other source of joy. We can give it up by self-righteousness and trying to root it in our own behavior. But he says, don't root it in that. Root it. God says, don't root it in those things. Root it in what I have done for you in Jesus. Root it in what I have done for you in the cross of Christ in his resurrection. So if you look at verses, verse 3, verse 3 tells us something that Jesus did for us, right? He, uh, it says you've been born again to a living hope. Verse 4 talks about an inheritance that you have in Christ. And if you jump down to verse 7, you see that you're given this precious faith. All these things that come from Christ. And so, you know, how can we have, um, uh, you know, a hopeful view of our present circumstances and our future possibilities? Well, it starts in knowing that God is for us, that God has reconciled us to himself. He loves you right now, holding nothing against you. He has a positive view of you. That's a huge foundation for joy. And so as we come here into worship, you know, week to week, we confess our sins. We hear a wonderful assurance of pardon that comes at the end, you know, from the very word of God itself, reminding us, as we have received Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're loved, and and, and God is not working to our misery, but to our joy. You know, as we, we come to baptism, we remember our baptism, we're reminded that we've been brought into God's family, adopted into his family and given an inheritance. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that God is all too ready and willing to satisfy us in himself. That's our present. What about our future? Well, if we look towards our future, why do we have a positive view of that? Is because, you know, we... We know that we can't fail as we pursue Christ by faith. Philippians 1.6 says the work that God started, he will bring to completion. Jesus said in John 10 that nobody's going to take um, his sheep out of his hand. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7, it says that even your suffering is accomplishing a good and positive end. God is even doing something in that. Right? It's not pointless. It's not hopeless. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, you have every reason for joy. You're accepted by Christ. You have a future. Now, the further we depart from those truths, the more that we lose our ground in biblical joy. What do we, then we think we have to accomplish more. Then we think we have to look better. Then we think that there's no hope for somebody like us. Or you might think that you earned it all yourself and you just become insufferable, not really joyful, not really thankful, 
but proud because of what you accomplished, and that pride squelches out love. But in Jesus Christ, you see how God can accept you 100%. He was perfect so you could have joy, even when you were imperfect. I mean, it's, it's so helpful to think about that. Remember, the, the, the way he created you is the way that he wanted you. And you can stop thinking that your value comes from how you look. His forgiveness reminds us that there is hope for every one of us, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're experiencing, and that that hope is in Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of thinking that helps us stop living by comparisons. And whatever comes in those comparisons, whether it's discouragement or that comes by, by pride. So we measure ourselves by God's love, and we live it out, remembering that that joy is a gift from God, not because we deserve it, but because God gives it as his grace in his love, even to sinners like you and I. A third thing I want to look at today is that expression in 1 Peter 1.8, rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible. I just, I just love that phrase. Rejoicing with joy that's inexpressible. You know, it talks about this joy that's inexpressible. So how, and then it talks about rejoicing. So there's the verb rejoicing. We see that in verse 6 also. There's a verb, something that we're supposed to do, but rejoicing in a joy that, that can't really even be communicated. I mean, you see the fullness is there. It's, saying, it's talking about something we can never really plumb the depths of. And this is how I see that working as we rejoice. We, we talk about the wonder and the greatness of God, of his love for us, his plans for the world, his majesty, his purpose. And as we rejoice in those things, um, you know, all we can do is just barely mutter just a little fraction of who he is. And then as we rejoice in that, we, we realize that, you know, there's things that we haven't expressed appreciation for and thankfulness and joy in, and we begin to see that area, and we begin to see another area. And, you know, as we continue to rejoice, we just go deeper and deeper into joy as we go deeper and deeper into God. I remember a theologian that I was listening to once, and he said something like, you know, joy will be, or heaven will be a place of increasing joy because as we continue in heaven, we'll learn more and more about God, and the more and more we learn about him, the more and more joyful that we become. Because, you know, God is infinite. And as we know him, you know, we're discovering an inexpressible joy. And we just talk about it. And it encourages us in it. So, you know, we tend to, with our words, create our experience of our reality, right? You know, so things happen to us and we, we um, verbalize it, we articulate what's happening in our lives. We might do it to other people, um, some, we often do it by complaining, right? And, you know, we kind of create a certain experience of the things that are going on in our lives. But even more than talking to other people, we talk to ourselves, really defining the reality that we live in. You know, and as we embrace these words, you know, it, it, and if they're not true and they're not accurate to the wonder and the majesty of God and this inexpressible joy that God has for us, you know, know, um, you know, that there's... Um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, obviously, we're going to be moving more and more away from the source of joy. One thing that we do when we come here to worship is we sing, right? We sing, and we, uh, we sing, we affirm truth. 
We are from truth that leads to joy. I was thinking about the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, right? It draws out of Isaiah and it says, Fear not, I am with thee. O be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen and help you and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. You know, what a powerful um, affirmation that when we're dealing with trials, their God is with us. When we're afraid, God is with us. We affirm with the very words of God, his presence with us. And what ends up happening? See, if we focus and talk about our problems, we talk about how bad things are, how terrible the world is, we fail to rejoice in the Lord and we lose that grounding. Our problems even become our God. There's a funny story about Martin Luther that illustrates this. I, you know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, you know, one of the great ones who brought out the majesty of God and, and the wonder of his grace and a declaration of his love to the world. And, and generally, if I understand him, he was a cheerful man, uh, but he was one who would occasionally fall into, um, you know, fits of depression. And one day he came home from a trip and, and he came home and, you know, you can imagine him being miserable and grumpy and depressed. Um, and, you know, he comes home to his whole family heavy-hearted like that. Now, he's married to a woman, Katerina Van Bora, and she was a former nun, and she'd escaped from a convent to, to marry him. And she, along with the kids, they were troubled by his negative, um, doubtful, depressive attitude. And so, and so when he comes home, she decides to dress up in all-black clothing. And then she, you know, while he's in his study working, she bursts into the room and, and before he can say anything, you know, she dramatically throws herself on the chair and she lets out, you know, exaggerated sobs and, and wailing as if she was in deep, deep mourning. And Luther asked what was wrong and she answered, oh, Martin, haven't you heard? God is dead. The Lord has left us. Now, and Luther, he sees what she's doing, right? More than that, he sees what he's doing. You know, here he is, he's acting as if God is dead, as if God has less power than the problems that he was facing. He ends up bursting out in a laugh, and he says, Katie, you are a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. He got the point. How many of us need a wake-up call like that? You know, God is not dead. Stop acting, thinking, and living like he is. Stop acting, thinking that he is against you when he is for you. And if you're not a believer, and you know the heavy hand of God against you, repent of your sins, trusting in Christ. You know, you can know the, the deep experience of joy and love of God. And so think about how we might then address the trials of our life. Bad things happen. We know bad things happen. But we could likely imagine how much worse things can be. We can think about how God has protected us. We can give thanks. And, or something like money. Maybe money is tight. But thank God for what we have. And yes, we, we grieve our lost ones. We also express our appreciation for the times that we had. Now, it's not that we paint everything over as rosy, right? We, we're, we're never dishonest with the challenges. We need to ask for help when we need it. 
Now, we are people who confess our sins to God and we believe that he forgives them. We know that we have problems. We're honest in prayer. We're resurrectionists, right? We know the realities of death. But we know the historical account that God raised Jesus from the dead. We're honest and yet we are hopeful. But that's the hope that remains. I love that song that we sang, uh, first scripture song today, Blessed Be Your Name. You know, as you meditate on these words, sometimes you think, I can't almost believe I'm saying this, but, but I am. You know, because the song bounces back and forth between blessing and then also great, great difficulty. There's the line that says, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's the joy that's there. It's even when those trials, even when that darkness closes in, there's a source of joy in God through Jesus Christ, which will sustain us. And that's something that we talk about. Philippians 4.4, 4, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, it, says, it commands our joy twice, right? Once isn't enough, right? Twice, that's how important it is. Rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice, set your affections on him, set your heart in him, speak of his wonder, speak of his goodness, speak of his glory. Do it in worship, right? We confess our sins, we hear assurance, we, we worship, um, you know, rejoicing the Lord in our songs and our prayers. We do it as we come to the Lord's Supper. But it's not just here, it's in our private lives. It's in expressing our hope vocally, even, even when times are bad. I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1. He's in jail, and yet what does he do? He's rejoicing. Why? Because the prison uh, guards are hearing the gospel, and the people who have heard of his suffering are growing in their faith. He finds something to speak about which is good in his life, right? We can either listen to ourselves and all of our problems, or we can preach the gospel to ourselves and remember the great things and the mighty things that God has done always expressing gratitude, right, in all things, even the little ones. And I hope you have that joy, that joy he has for you in Christ. So how do you digest all this? Well, if you were here and you are not a Christian, you know, you might know, since you might know what I'm talking about. I have no source of joy. You know, I, you know what's, my, what's, what's your source in this? And, and as you are here and, and you say, you know, I need a source for that. Let me say, seek it in Christ. He's the only one who can give that for you. We'd love to talk more about how to find life, eternal life, abundant life and joy in Jesus Christ. But you need him. You're not going to find it anywhere else on your own. But maybe you're here and you're really struggling with a lack of happiness. You know, maybe there is a, a depression that you experience. There's a fight for joy. And that joy is found in Jesus Christ, right? As, as you rejoice in the Lord, what you're doing is you're holding on to that one bit of hope. And, and I know it's not easy, right? It is not easy. And I'm not proposing a simple solution, just rejoice in the Lord. But the key thing we need to know is we know where joy is found. It's found in him. And the Christian life, in, in, the, in this journey through this life where there's a lot of suffering and difficulty, a lot of joys as well, is we, we, we know where it's found and we keep our eyes in that direction, looking where it is and knowing that that's, that is a sure and certain place we're going to find 
something to give us a positive view for our life now and a hopeful view for our future. Look to him. Look to him by faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we want a joy that comes from knowing you. You is the giver of all joy. And we ask that you'd help us, Lord, to make that joy known to others, to those who are downcast, to those who are in a deep depression, to those who are struggling with sin, to those who are dealing with loss. Father, to those who are overcome just with the trials of life. Father, help us to exude that joy, to speak about the joy. Father, we ask that you would make us happy only in you. Father, you would take away our love of sin and our love of the world. Father, we thank you that you've made every provision for our joy in the gift of your son, Jesus. We ask you to help us to claim our inheritance that you've given to us in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.